Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, today we're going to look into one of the more exciting parts of the Philippian text. And I don't say that to say that the rest of it's boring, uh, but this one is in, 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 interestingly fun. Okay, Paul uses some very choice language um, to make his point in the third chapter of Philippians. And um, I, I, I'm excited about this. This is one of my favorite uh, text. And I, I need to make a little disclaimer today. If you are offended by coarse language, um, then I want to encourage you to be ready with your earmuffs, okay? Uh, because I might get a little, well, no, Paul is going to get a little um, uh, crass. We'll just say that. So uh, I'll tell you when you need to cover your ears. If you uh, don't want to listen to that stuff, and if you really don't want to, you can just go ahead and leave right now um, and don't come back. Uh, just kidding. I'm joking. Um, but today I do want to say this though. I'm going to put a PG 13 uh, rating on this particular message. Um, and this is my official disclaimer, so I can say whatever I want now. Um, okay. So, uh, anyway, what's, what's interesting though, about this text in Philippians chapter three, we're going to be focusing on the first 11 verses is that the words that are used here are, uh, they're, uh, well, I, well, I just, it's going to be fun. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to have fun. So let me, let me just open up with a word of prayer uh, and we'll begin. So bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for uh, the word of God, for the scripture, for the ways that you teach us more about who you are, about who we can be uh, because of your son. Lord, we thank you for his life, that he came to live with us here on the earth, that he walked among us that we can follow his example. We thank you for his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. God, thank you for all that you have given to us, that you've loved us. And Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would speak to us. Allow this text to uh, saturate our soul, draw us closer to you, edify this body, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the conflict that we're going to deal with this morning uh, is one that many of us are going to find ourselves in, all right? Although um, when, when we read this text, it may not just naturally pop out to us, but it's something that inherently we will all have come into our lives. And if it hasn't been a part of your life yet, I promise you at some point you're going to deal with it, okay? So we're, we're talking about the fight between religious behavior and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul, though he lacks a little bit of eloquence here, he makes a distinction between those who follow Jesus and those who uh, follow religion. And, and I'm personally challenged when I read this because I know how easy it is for me to fall into the category of the religious, of having religious behavior. And, um, and, and I think many of us do this, uh, but there's joy here for us that Paul wants us to know about, even, even when we are guilty of religious behavior. Uh, and the joy that we have is simply this, Christ covers all of our sin. 
So we're going to jump into the text right now. We're going to focus, like I said, on the first 11 verses of Philippians 3. Uh, please open your Bibles. Uh, if you have them with me, of course, the, the words are on the screen. Uh, you can even, uh, in your church app, you can go there and follow along in the text and, and actually look up some of the words that we're going to be talking about. And it'll give you some definitions, which might be really helpful later. So let me read this text. Uh, verse 1, chapter 3 of Philippians. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death." That by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at the top of this text and work uh, through it and see how it applies to our lives. First of all, Paul begins with this word rejoice, right? This is the theme of our series, finding joy in the difficulty, the rebel's guide to joy. He, he says that we rejoice at all times and we've got good reason to. And I think that uh, the backbone of, of these 11 verses serves as the reason for our joy. And that is simply, we have righteousness from God that comes to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in him. Amen, right? Um, he, he starts real happy here, Paul does, and, and uh, rejoice. And then there's this major break preceded by this relatively ominous line. He says, and it's safe for you as I write these things to you. Like if, I'm, if I'm a Philippian in church and I'm reading this letter to, to the people of my community, my church community, and I get to this line, I'm thinking, looking over my shoulder, wait, whoa, what do I have to be afraid of? You know, like, whoa. And this is what? This is what we have to be afraid of. He drops this next line. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is like the trinity of unholy things that Paul is, is talking about. And, 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 and it, these words are, you know, like fight-worthy words. See, for most of my life, I've lived with a dog, right? How many other people are dog lovers out there? A couple of us, that's good. You're wonderful people. How many of you are cat lovers? Okay, you can also leave. Don't come back. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, dogs are wonderful, right? Like all of my life, for the most part, until I got married. Uh, now I have a cat. 
I've had a dog, this sweet companion, right? I, I had this dog. He is a, a friend of mine. Uh, he loves me. He's happy when I get home. He wags his tail and he licks my face and he's wonderful, right? And, 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 and anybody who loves dogs understands that. Dogs are just that way. Even people who don't like dogs, they get that. Dogs are just friendly beings. But what, what we're talking about here and then what Paul's talking about when he says, watch out for the dogs, he's not talking about watch out for Snoopy. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's not he's not talking about our domesticated furry friends that we know that sleep with us in bed and, you know, take over the bed. In the Hellenistic culture that Paul was writing to, dogs were a filthy animal, right? They were not kept as pets. They roamed the streets. Uh, They were vicious. They would bite people. They would eat dead things on the side of the road, even dead people, gross, right? They they were, they were terrible. They defecated in the streets. Whoa, there's one word, earmuffs. (laughs) They pooped in the streets, folks. Um, They carried disease. They reproduced out in the open. Oh, it's disgusting. They were nuisance animals. Nuisance animals that were a problem. And Paul, what he's doing here is he's going for the jugular of these religious people that were critical of him in so many ways for preaching the gospel. He's rebuking them for the way that they understand their relationship with God. And he paints this picture of them as filthy, dangerous, rabid, gross animals. Who would trust someone like that, right? This is what Paul is saying. And then he gets a little bit more pointed when he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Now, the Philippians would have known exactly what this referred to. It's it's a reference to circumcision. And uh, he makes this clear distinction between those who were circumcised because of their uh, relationship with God, the covenant uh, with Abraham and God, and those who are circumcised in their heart because of their relationship with God. What was happening here is, is that the religious people, they were known as religious because of this. They said that you had to be circumcised, that's physically circumcised in order to be saved by Jesus Christ. So not only did you have to surrender your life to Jesus, but you also had to be physically cut with a knife. And the Jewish leaders were forcing the Gentiles to have this procedure done in order to be saved. It, it, I mean, like, we think that's ridiculous, right? You know, can you imagine, hey, come on down, let's pray for you to be saved. And right here in the sanctuary, you know, the Lord Jesus come into this person's heart. Now we're going to take you out back, put you in an ambulance. You're going to have to go to the hospital, and you're going to have to have this procedure done. Ooh. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, But the religious people that Paul is calling dogs were doing that very thing. It seems absurd, completely absurd. And, And as Christians, we know that you don't have to do anything more than believe in Jesus, to trust him with your life. I mean, we know that, right? We know that following Jesus is as simple as what Paul writes to the Roman church in the 10th chapter, verse 9. It's on the screen. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Nothing more, right? That's it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. 
But I wonder, do we add to it sometimes? You know, once you're saved, then what? You have to get baptized, right? Or you have to tithe to the church. Or you have to read your Bible or attend Bible studies or come every single week, which please do. We like seeing your faces here at church. I do anyway. I'm not speaking for Ross, but um, just kidding. <laughs> totally joking. I'm totally joking. Sometimes we, we may add some things to it. Like we may say, well, you know, to be a Christian, you have to stop cussing and drinking and, and sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Don't we say these things? You know, you, you, you can't be a Christian and, and look at porn. You can't do those kinds of things. Do, I mean, don't we say that, that, that like that's what it means to be a Christian? Hold up. You're thinking, right, Jeremy, come on. Aren't those the rules? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? What Paul is rebuking here in Philippians 3 is the mindset that in order to be saved, you also have to do something else more than just believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. It's like this formula that he's saying that people are doing. Jesus plus something, anything, right? Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus tithing. For the, for the Pharisees in this, in this time, it was Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus being a Republican or a Democrat, whatever you are. There's only one that's right, though. <laughs> Jesus plus anything else. Paul is saying, no, no, it's just Jesus. It's only Jesus. And anyone who adds to that is a dog. They are an evil doer. And and the question that I have to ask myself when I look in the mirror is, do I add anything to Jesus? Do I have some kind of religious behavior that I fall into, whether it's for me and my own personal life of faith or if it's for someone else? Do I, do I say, yeah, it's Jesus plus this other thing? And, and I'm going to be honest with you. My answer is yes, I am a dog. I'm an evil doer. I question my own salvation because of the thoughts that are in my head, the things that I do that are not aligned with what I profess to believe as a follower of Jesus. So my religion is Jesus plus perfect behavior. But is that what scripture tells us? No. I look at other people and I think, ooh, they're going to have to change their life in order to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not looking at anyone in here. Or am I? But that's religious thinking. Scripture tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. That's it. This morning, I want you just to reflect on your own life. Think about it. Do you do the same kind of thing? Do you have some kind of religious behavior? And if you identify that you do, I want you to to write this down in your notes. Go home. Dig deeper. Because we are not saved by following any rule that is in addition to Jesus. Jesus is all that we need. And that's why Paul is saying rejoice. Because faith in God is not complex. It can seem that way, but it probably only seems that way because we make it complex by the religious rules that we add to it in this faith equation. Okay? We need to get rid of the religious behavior the religious rules that we have. 
I'm going to move on here. But the first thing that Paul's rebuking in this um, text is the people who are religious, okay? And then he makes this um, statement of precision that's very interesting. At the end of verse 3 and the beginning of 4, he comments on the confidence in the flesh. He says that we should put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. And he's saying this because he wants to set up his next point. He wants to talk about religion this way. And I want to talk briefly about this word flesh that he uses because we often, when we read it, a lot of times uh, we, we think of, you know, flesh equals those sinful behaviors that people have, right? It's, we correlate it with that. It's, it's being lustful or it's being a drunkard or it's, um, you know, being a gossip or whatever, you know, ta- attacking people, whether it's with words or actions or something like that. The flesh is what we often think of as bad. But, and Paul's not necessarily excluding those things, but that's not how he's highlighting this particular thing. He says um, he's highlighting first his heritage, and then the second thing that's really interesting is he's highlighting his good behavior. Not the bad things that he does, but the good things that he does. And he's doing this on purpose. See, this is how he says it into verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. For a, a, a Jewish leader at this time, for a Pharisee, this is brag worthy. Uh, this is top echelon ancestry that Paul has. Uh, you can't really get any better here. There's no flaws in his bloodline. There's no mixed blood. He's pure all the way back to the covenant with, um, that God had with Abraham and Sarah. And then Paul continues to talk about his actions. He says, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. This last one's interesting because if you remember the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the the law, it was composed of over 600 things that you had to do to be considered righteous. 613, in fact. And Paul was not guilty of breaking any of those rules. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews, and he was without guilt. He was perfect in the eyes of Judaism. His descent... And his actions, perfect. To most Hebrew people, that would suggest that he's righteous. But what Paul knows is that all of this stuff, where we come from, who our ancestors are, how well we keep the law, all of it is corruptible. Our flesh is corruptible. It will rot, it will deteriorate, it will break down. And we can become unrighteous. So why would anyone then have confidence in something that cannot be trusted? See, Paul says, no. I count all of that stuff, all of that good stuff, I count it as loss. I count it as trash. And this is his second point. Religion itself. Religion itself is trash. Religious people, they are like scavenging hyenas. And religion, those rules that we create, they are rubbish. Now, this statement in verse 7 through 9, it reads this way. And this is where, if you might get offended by language, 
you might get offended by language here, okay? So um, verse 7 through 9 says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's an important word. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, I'm highlighting this for a reason because when we read it, it has this really nice ring to it. It's almost like poetry. And quite frankly, this is a little bit of a poem. Uh, but, but Paul really doesn't want to sound harmless here. Any Philippian that's reading this letter knows that Paul's not trying to sound eloquent. He uses this word in the Greek um, uh, that's very strong. And his point is very simple. Religion is very bad. And most of us know that if we have to use the adverb very in front of anything, then there's probably a better way to communicate what we want to say, right? And so Paul does this. He, he doesn't use the word very. He says, religion is, dot, 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 huh, get ready. Some of our Bible translations, they make, um, they say it in a lot of different ways. Some of them make it a little easier uh, for us to read without getting lost in the language. But in doing so, they lose a lot of Paul's emphasis for us. This is how some of them translate it. They say religion is trash. Okay, yeah, we get that. Religion is refuse. Religion is filth. Those are okay. They're not that good. A little closer to the point, um, Paul would have said it this way. Religion is dung. Uh, maybe even more precise, religion is dog dung. Okay? And I personally prefer that, that reading of it uh, because, you know, Paul was already talking about religious people are what? They're dogs, right? And their behavior then is what? Dog dung, okay? Um, and so uh, other translations, they actually will translate it this way. We don't see many of these these days, but they might actually say religion is a turd. That's funny. Oh, gosh. I'm, it, it, this is true. This is straight out of Scripture. I'm not, like, making this stuff up. There's actually a translation from the 17th century that says that religion is, and they use the S word. Just flat out say it. Religion is... Ah, I'm not going to say it because I really like my job. It's fun. (laughs) Here's the point uh, that Paul's trying to make. Essentially, um, what he's saying is that his opponents could claim that the flesh, if it has some value, then it can be used a certain way. But he was saying, look, he's in a better position to point out his flesh and how good it is. Yet he himself acknowledges that the flesh of his formal life as a devout Jew is completely worthless. He counts it as nothing. And this is the crescendo in verse 8 of this text. He's, he's saying, indeed, I regard all of those things as dog dung. I regard it all as dog dung so that I might gain Christ. And then he launches into this positive presentation of his new life in Christ. And if dog dung isn't really there, then, then we don't have this beautiful, beautiful, this interesting word picture uh, that is effectively made. And that is that the flesh 
can only produce things that are worthless and revolting. Religious people are dogs and their behavior is as worthless and revolting as dog crap. Oh gosh, that wasn't written in there. It just came out. That one slipped out. Sorry. So everything that Paul had done in his life before he met Jesus was worthless. His religious resume was worth nothing. It had no value with one exception, his faith in Jesus. He says, I've got one thing in my life that has value. It has nothing to do with what I can do or what I've done, but instead it's what Jesus did for me. It was Jesus's perfect life, his righteousness, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection. That's the thing that I'm clinging to. That's what's got any kind of worth to it. You see, the the difference between religion and the good news of Jesus, it can be summed up this way. Religion is all about me. It's all about what I can do. But the gospel is all about Jesus and what Jesus did. Religion says, if I follow the rules, then God will love me. The gospel of Jesus says, because God loves you, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And if you put your trust in him, then you become a new person with a new nature that desires to follow God. That's freedom in Christ. Religion sees people in a certain way. And Paul gets at it with his resume of being this perfect Hebrew. See, religion sees that there are good people and there are bad people. Religion says that God loves the good people, but he hates the bad people. Well, I'm going to tell you, religion's wrong. Religion is flat out wrong. See, the gospel of Jesus says that we are all bad people. Every single one of us is bad. We are sinners. So there are bad people and there's Jesus. That's it. And Jesus comes to all of the bad people and he says, I have this to offer for you. My life, my death, my resurrection, a relationship. Would you like to be with me? If so, then just trust in me. You don't have to do anything. Just trust. Jesus is our justification. He is our righteousness. We can't do it without him. Religion gets this process all twisted up. Backwards. Religion says that if you live a certain way, then you become righteous. Religion says that that you have to be sanctified before you are justified. And the gospel of Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. Righteousness comes because of what Christ did. You're connected to God through Jesus. And then you get this new nature that compels you to live more like Christ. And that's how you are sanctified. This is how religion would play itself out. If, if you have to live perfectly in order to be connected to God, then what happens when you have some kind of sin in your life, private sin that no one knows about, private sin that hopefully God doesn't know about? Well, if you have sin in your life, then you can't be connected to God, right? That's what religion says. You have to be perfect 
in order to be connected to him. So you can never have relationship with him. Religion doesn't work. It's a masquerade of lies. With Jesus, though, your sin is already covered by his righteousness. So you can repent of anything that's going on in your life and not worry about it. You don't have to carry any more doubt or guilt. You don't have to carry any more shame because Jesus takes it away. As far as the east is from the west, your sin is gone when you repent of those things in the name of Jesus Christ. You draw closer to God when you do that too because you're leaving behind a part of you that's not like Jesus and you're moving closer to him. You you can say that I've got this area of my life that's not what God wants for me, whatever it is. And and you can say, I can't control it. I want to get rid of it. I want to repent of it and and be gone. And I want to bring it to light and say, this is not who I want to be anymore. I want to be like Christ. And here's the wonderful thing about faith in Jesus is that you not only get Jesus Christ and a relationship with God, but you also get a relationship with a community of believers, brothers and sisters who encourage you, who bring you along this life of faith. And they can help you take one step or two steps or three steps away from that sin so that you can become more like Christ. This is such a beautiful thing about the gospel. We don't have to do it on our own. In fact, we're not supposed to do it on our own. That's not the way it works. We have a support system built in that's known as the church. With religion, that doesn't exist. With religion, it's all about what you can do on your own. You can't rely on the strength of others or even Christ for that matter. It's all about what you can do. And I can't tell you how many people are paralyzed in their faith because they believe that. And this is where I want to cuss, like really cuss. But I'm not going to. It's actually written in here. It's bull. No. Paul says it this way. He would say that we don't have to live with any guilt, with any condemnation uh, because um, of our connection to God. Because we have this faith in Jesus, everything that we've done in the past, whether it's good or bad, is erased. There's no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus. Our sin is gone. Separation from God is gone in Jesus. So then why, why can't we let it go? A lot of times we can't let our sins go. We, we let it remain in our hearts and in our minds because whatever. Is, is it because we're, we're afraid of what God will think of us? Let me tell you what God thinks of us, okay? He thinks that we're sinners. He knows that we're sinners, but he loves us anyway. And he offers us this gift of grace that we don't deserve so that we can have a relationship with him. And, and, and this, is, this is the way that it works. And this is also the problem with religion. You see, religion doesn't believe that God demands perfection. But I'm going to tell you right now that God does demand perfection. He absolutely does. But Jesus says that, that we get to be perfect because of what Christ, who was perfect, has done for us. And when we stand before God as condemned sinners, there's no way that we can plead our goodness. Anything that we've done that's, that's moral or right. Because anything seemingly good that we've done, we should have already been doing anyway, right? So how can we as sinners unrighteous stand before a holy and righteous just god and be declared righteous and given permission to live forever with him how do we do it it's right here in verse 9 philippians 3 it says to be found in him that's in jesus to be found in jesus not having a righteousness of my own 
not having any kind of religion. Paul says that in trusting Jesus, having faith in him, not adding anything to him, nothing to that faith equation, whether it's good or bad, when we have faith in him, we can stand before God the Father at the end of the day when we're judged, and we all will be. And we can tell God that I'm a sinner. I'm unrighteous. I broke your laws. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I did what I wasn't supposed to do, in fact. My heart was impure. I was self-righteous. I was proud. My motives were mixed. But Jesus lived a perfect life in my place. He died the death that I should have died, and he paid the penalty for all of my sin, and he rose for my salvation. And so, Father in heaven, my answer to you is, how can I live with you forever? My answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ, those are my words. That's all, and that's everything that matters. So the joy that we find in the conflict of religion versus faith in Jesus is this. We get to stand on his righteousness and his righteousness alone. No worry, no fear, no condemnation. So how does this play out in our life? And I'm not going to stand here and tell you as a pastor at Quest that we do it the very best, because that would be an untrue statement. But I will say that we want to be really good at this as a body of believers. We want to be good at preaching that it's Jesus only. We want to be good as a body of believers who support one another as a community of faith. We want this church to be a place where anyone can come and know that they can have a relationship with Jesus, with God, and they can walk out the faith journey with other believers. You've heard us talk about this. We've got it printed above the doors. In, in that as you walk in here, relationships are the mission, and this is why. On our own, when we try to surrender a part of our life to God, so that we can be more like Jesus, we tend to stumble, we tend to fall, we tend to mess up. That's just who we are. And the enemy wants to take that, and he wants to lie to us. He wants to tell us, you can't do it on your own. You're not worthy of of standing in front of God. You are completely unrighteous, and yeah, that's true. But here's the wonderful thing. Because of Jesus, we don't have to hold on to that guilt or shame anymore, that sin. We get to let it go. And our friends, the people that we have community with, brothers and sisters in Christ, they get to remind us of that. See, we get to sit in rooms with other believers who can encourage us to trust in what Jesus did for us, not what we have done. We get to pray with other believers who will intercede for us that God will give us the strength to change our lives so that we can become more like Jesus. We, we have a church that we can learn more about who God is and try to reflect more of him in our lives. We can have friendships and have accountability so we're not alone. We get a new perspective. And we get to understand what Paul is saying about suffering here, that we are using those sufferings God uses them to make us more like Jesus. So even our hard times in our life, they're opportunities for us to be more sanctified, more like Jesus. God doesn't waste anything on us. And this is worth rejoicing over. The practical application that we can all draw from this is that even though we are fallen, broken people of God, he loves us. He gives us his son to make us righteous, And by trusting in him, we're given a new nature that little by little we might be more like Jesus, more sanctified. And the body of believers, the church, 
gets to help us as we walk this journey of faith together. The church is the hope of us becoming more like Jesus. So if you don't have a community of believers, if you don't have a group that you belong to, if you don't have a relationship with other Christians, then I want to encourage you to find that community of other believers because we need it. We're not supposed to walk this journey of faith alone. We are not supposed to. That's not the way it was intended. Faith is not something to be done alone. He wants us to be connected with other people. He wants us to be blessed by those relationships. And he wants us to bless those people in our lives as well. Religion is broken. Religion keeps us from God. But faith in Jesus, it's simple. It's all about trusting in him. Trusting in him. And allowing him to do the work in us. So that we might be more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you that you loved us first. That it's not by our might, not by our work, not by anything that we can do. But instead by what you've done for us that we can have a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his example that he modeled for us. May we be more like him by the power of the Holy Spirit that's alive within us because of our faith in your son. Holy Spirit, transform us. Make us new. Make us more like Jesus. And God, let us experience the community of believers as we grow, as we put away our sin nature and put on our new nature. God, thank you. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship, church. Please stand. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.